Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. It is a natural part of life to imagine what the future will be like. Some people meticulously plan out their lives, while others live more in the moment with an amorphous outlook on the future. Regardless of which type of person you are, it holds true that the future you've imagined is unlikely to come about. Life will throw you some curveballs, and with those curveballs will come necessary changes in perspective, which can fundamentally alter who you are as a person. There are some things we just can't understand without the passage of time. Today, we're looking at accumulation. So this is a topic that you and I have talked about on the side quite a bit over over the past few weeks. Um, as I've been, you know, working through my some of my developmental psychology classes, um, but we haven't really talked about it on the air. So with the the recent episodes we've done on aging and on um, reviewing Chris Hemsworth's um, episode and things, it just kind of seemed relevant to to fit this one in here. Agreed. So, what do we mean when we say accumulation in this context? Well. <laughs> It's a it's a marvelous word in its expansive inclusiveness because I think everyone knows at a, at a basic level to accumulate is to gather things to to collect things and and we all I shouldn't say we all many of us are people who inevitably in our lives find something we're so attracted to that we for fun collect it whether it's um, stamps. Comic books, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> uh, the, the recordings, you know, uh, albums, whatever. And and from that level, there's there's the potential tipping point when it goes from being something that's fun to something that is obsessive to something that fills up one space and thus doesn't bring anything. It, it doesn't bring joy. It it uh, can bring lots of other more negative connotations and that's just with objects but uh, the accumulation of and and you know this because you you have again on the off sides <laughs> you have uh, told me of where uh, developmental psychology is and and the uh, the cross-disciplinary work that's that's going on so but but accumulation can be things that are slowly gathered or accrue over time that can then have an effect on us. And so whether it's albums, comic books, and stamps, or physical conditions, or or behaviors, uh, that there can be, as, as I understand it, and I think it's common sense really on one simple level, there, there's going to be a consequence. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as most of the topics we cover, there's it's it's common sense on the simple level, and then the more we dig into it, the more the more interesting it gets. But so this idea of accumulation, as you just kind of highlighted, it, it affects all aspects of our lives. Do we want to go a little bit more in depth on on different types? I think so. Um, do you have one you want to start with, or does it matter? Yeah, um, I think that maybe we should start with the most concrete and then get more abstract. Okay. So we'll start at the physical level. I right. guess. Okay. So uh, let's go back to objects. and won't dwell long on any one of these because I think there's a, there's a commonality that then leads to the complication. Uh, so you, you collect 
uh, well, my mom, she had this marvelous collection of marbles. She thought marbles were fascinating. And and she'd make various jokes about all her marbles being in the jar and that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, but she also thought that they had value and had uh, some some hope that somehow the jars might yield some some money the other end of things. Um, and that's not really the case. But to me, the value, I'm so glad she did because it didn't overwhelm the house. But I played with these things. My, my children did. Now my grandchild is. And it all uh, allows for stories. Every single marble doesn't have a story, but combined. Uh, as, but there are individuals that are so outstanding. There are little things we associate with. Or they make us ask questions about her. And so um, there are, I think, three things right there. there. There's the accumulation of something because it gives you happiness, because they're interesting to touch or look at. There's an accumulation that the frequency of which does not overwhelm the space and become obsessive. But then there's also the idea of accumulation of uh, not wealth, that would be too strong a word, but the accumulation of something that, that you hope that its value might could be turned into a material good uh, at some other stage. That's just with a marble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that, and you know, I've, I've dealt with this with guitars because guitars are one of my accumulations, right? Where um, there's some, there's occasions where I have to take a very hard look in the mirror and decide, you know, if, if what I'm doing is a hobby or an obsession, right? Where um, just examples of the past, right? I've, I've ended up with a rare guitar. Um, either the model wasn't made very long or it has a, a color finish that wasn't made very long or whatever the case is. Um, and in one of these cases, it was my first electric guitar and I love it and I, I'll never get rid of it. In another case, it was an electric guitar that I had that, again, was very rare. Um, the, the model um, the model's made for a couple of years, but the specific finish was only made um, on a few hundred of them. And so, again, those factors play in, right? Oh, well, it's valuable and, you know, all of a sudden, but what I realized is that I didn't like playing it. Mm. You know, I, it, it didn't really have the sound that I liked and, and it didn't really, you know, play the way I liked. And so at some point I said, is it worth just hanging on to this thing because it's rare or valuable? Yeah. And I said, no, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah. a guitar takes up a lot of space. Right. And, <laughs> and you can only play one of them at a time. So it doesn't make sense to keep this thing. I, I have to let it go. And, and that's the hard part is this, this idea of um, if you have something that you believe is valuable, and especially if you have something that is valuable and it brings you joy and, yeah. and it has these other factors, it was very hard to let it go. Um, but oh, there's some, yeah. Well, you had an internal, an internal arbiter. Right. Whether it's me, myself, and I having a, a committee meeting or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I would say uh, from from a non-professional viewpoint, because I'm not a, I'm not a counselor. But I I'd say that, that that's that's the mark of health. You know, I I uh, for my uh, most of the people who are dear to me or close to me here heard this story far too often. But I I loved comic books as a kid, 
they meant something to me. I loved the images. It was the, the stories. I learned lots of vocabulary. I really did. It was a, 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 I loved to read books too. I didn't get lost in it. But there was a time in my life, it was, which was a, a very, very intense time, psychologically, physically, familially, familially for uh, my mom and dad taking care of my uh, grandfather. I was dying of cancer and 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 and, and badly because there's no good way to do it as he did. But um, and it was taking a toll on very young parents, and I was retreating into comic books. And my mother had enough one day and made me go out and put all the comic books into a burn barrel. I was so angry. I was so hurt. I was because I thought I was doing a lot to try to help. And she later said that that was something she really shouldn't have done. But the humor level for me was that um, I I didn't stop. I started quietly, <laughs> sneakily. Uh, and then when I was in college, there was a great uh, shop. It usually was pharmacies and and things that would be called C stores now. But you know that that had them at uh, ten, five, five blocks down from the college. And I go and get these up, so I started to accrue again uh, the accumulation. And my wife, when we after years and I'm doing this, and I've got lots and lots, and she's saying, "You've got to do something about this because we cannot have the house filling up with these." And she was right. And so then I started thinking, "Well, what am I doing? I'm not going to sell these things. I'm not, as you say, I don't have a. I'm not. The value to them is the the illustrations, the nostalgia, the." The, the scent, the the knowing something about the artists and the storylines and all those things. And so I, I weeded because I didn't have collector's items because they were all banged up because I, you know, so I weeded and I said, okay, I'm going to keep it to uh, one large box, a wooden box. Uh, I'm sort of past that again. <laughs> uh, two small plastic boxes and a large box. But but that's over the course of decades, so it's not it's not too badly uh, off. And I, what I did find though was that there was a healthy point for me because it was an in for me to have conversations with young people. As I got older, I was shocking people apparently because I was trying to keep track of some things in pop culture and certainly comic books, and that was a doorway to open for ninety percent of the students that I. And, and and the cousins of, of my wife's cousins who were young kids growing up when my kids grew up. And I, could, I was handing them out comic books, and we were talking about it. And even now, I find with kids in uh, uh, high school, in junior high school, when I when I go to see one of uh, the play productions that my son is doing or one of the art uh, displays, uh, gallery shows that my daughter-in-law is doing, that I can have a talk with these kids about comics and and maybe hand off a few or trade a few and it just is social grease but it's more than that right so the short of it is that it is certainly valuable to me it is certainly a joy to me still always it's going to be but i also have a handle on it which sounds like rather addictive but it's all right <laughs> But it isn't. It's, I don't just, everything I see, grab and try to, there's an accumulation that is just a, a close your eyes and uh, more or less and just grab everything that's related. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because we've, we've headed into the, the psychological part of it, right? Which is this idea of 
um, who is the internal arbiter, right? Where, and we see this as a a common um, sort of disease of the mind in, in some older people where suddenly that, that faculty to discriminate to discern yes yeah is gone and then you become a hoarder a hoarder um yeah and so yeah so that idea of it by itself is very fascinating who who is it in your own head right that you are discussing this with that where's the internal model where's the internal model which one is you and which one is <laughs> what the else? angel and the devil on the show right. is thing, but, trying to tell you when you have enough. We also, some of us have an external arbiter, which is right, yeah, a, yeah, a life partner <laughs> or something that says, uh, I am. And, <laughs> and, and that helps too. But but really the internal one is, I think, the, the, the psychological, spiritual um, point that you have an active dialogue with this. Now, again, we're still just talking about objects. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of directions we can go from here in covering the types, right? If we, if we want to stay with the physical, um, we can go to the body. And in that regard, we encounter accumulation that we really don't have a choice in um, offloading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of uh, what sort of broached this topic and why we're covering it today is um, you and I were talking about um, some of my research in developmental psychology yeah. and how one of the, one of the current paradigms talking about aging is this idea of um, accumulation of deficits, right? Um, as you get older, um, it's not that any one thing goes terribly wrong, but you just have small things that affect you and those small things add up and add up and add up until you're sort of, you, you are literally and figuratively buried under them. Um, and so that, that demarcates the difference between objects and, and people in an interesting way. And and we, I think I mentioned that quote in last week's um, episode when the death duelist said, you know, plants die, animals die, car batteries die, people die. Right. You know, um, this idea that the accumulation in in a, a bodily sense is is never something that we can um, escape. No, we can't escape it. We can mitigate. We can bargain. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't mean that in a. I mean I, I think probably most of us at some of the lowest points engage in that universal bargaining somehow. But but that's not what I mean. I mean what, what, what we. What we do is can hear things from doctors or informal or formal guidance and, and say, okay, yes, I'm going to remove this out of my life. Or no, I don't want to remove this out of my life because I know I'm not going to live forever, but I do like the taste of this and I can do it in small amounts over years. But I can, you know, we have, we, it's, an, it's another negotiation. Yeah, it's, I just, I had a marvelous illustration just pop into my head, right? It's kind of like if if your body's at the house, right? Your life <laughs> would be as if every five minutes um, your doorbell rings and it's the paper boy, right? And he's giving you a paper about something that just happened. What you do with that paper is sort of how people deal with and mitigate aging, right? Mm. If you have somebody who wants to read every word, um, then they can do that, but they're going to lose time on what they're going to do with that paper before the next one comes, right? <laughs> Whereas somebody who 
um, knows that the paper boy is going to be showing up every five minutes, they might think, okay, well, where am I going to put all these papers? And they, they, they work on storing them. And um, maybe they, maybe they miss what's in the paper, you know, and they're so focused on where they're going to store them that they, they never read it. Yep. And some people strike a balance, right? They go, okay, well, I've got a general, I, I've got a general plan what I'm going to do with them. Um, so when each one comes in, I already know where it's going to go. So I'm going to read it and then I'll put it in its spot. So eventually the house is going to fill up with papers and you're no longer going to be able to move or read and, and you're done. That's the end. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's, it's kind of a that's good a analogy really good for analogy. life because you know, if you spend all your time wanting to enjoy it, right. Okay. Well, I'm going to, to drink hard and eat heavy and, and, and do all of these things because you only get one life and I want to enjoy it. Well, your house is going to fill up a lot faster than it would otherwise because there, you have no organization. You're just reading the paper and you're throwing it over your shoulder and pretty soon you're bare. <laughs> um, but if you're somebody that says, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to eat, you know, and then some people, if you enjoy a certain a healthy diet and you enjoy certain exercises, I'm somebody who does enjoy those things, then that's great. And if you have no cravings or no desire for any of those, uh, anything unhealthy, that's great for you. That really is. That's not me, right? So, but if you're one of the, if, but if you're one of those people that, that doesn't enjoy those things, but you're just trying to do them to to extend your life, yeah, then you're really every day is suffering, right? Because you, you're you're making sacrifices that um, that are negatively impacting your in perception and, and enjoyability of life. And that's the person that's not reading the paper; they're just stacking them. They're just always thinking about where am I going to put them? Where am I going to put them? Where am I, how can I optimize this space? You know, and I think that the goal is to be that, that third person, the person that says, okay, I know that the paper boy is showing up every five minutes. I know I need to find a spot to put these, but at the same time, I don't want to miss what's going on. I want to be able to look through the paper. I want to be able to see what's happening. And uh, I don't know why that popped into my head. No, I think it's, I, I, I think it's uh, an apropos and, and, and interesting and down to earth um, uh, metaphor uh, I, or, or an analogy, I, I, because then, of course, you could recycle all the papers, and then you would always have, you know. But 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 the point is that there are decisions, conscious or unconscious, that are being made, and each one of those decisions, uh, if you follow the flow chart, <laughs> uh, is cumulative. Uh, I mean, physics is about cause and effect and many, many, many other things, but but not every cause has one effect. Right. Uh, there, there are multiple effects from some causes and, and so on. So, And if we spend all of our time trying to think about that, then we're not really in the moment doing life. Yeah. Having life, experiencing life, however, whatever verb we want to use. Yeah. So that's kind of physical accumulation. Yeah. Now, I think psychological accumulation, which I, I really liked your Marvel intro because that that spanned the gamut. That really presented a good framework. And so now we've looked at objects in depth. We've looked at the physical body in, in depth. Now we can look at sort of the psychological. Yeah. And I think the psychological, you can offload accumulation. But I think that it's very difficult because you build up structures that encourage it. Um, my personal one is, right, at, at work, I one of my responsibilities is managing the warehouse, right? So all of our customers want us to ship on Friday. So what happens is 
um, throughout the week, the warehouse just accumulates with these um, pallets that are going to ship. And I, I always joke with with the, my coworkers that there's no better feeling than Friday afternoon when all of the boxes are left and the warehouse is empty. It's such a good feeling, but it doesn't last, right? We eventually accumulate boxes again, and you know I think that life is is sort of like that psychologically for a lot of us, right? We we go through life and we experience things, and um, we learn things, you know, implicitly or explicitly, and. Um, what I think what we find universally is that some of those things that we learn are adaptive and some of them are um, not so useful. Mm-hmm. And it tends to sneak up on us, right? Where, you know, it's, it's like on Thursday, I don't realize that having this limited space is bugging me, but it is, right? <laughs> like, I go, man, I can't maneuver this forklift around anywhere, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, how, it's, it's like clutter. Right. Yeah. I don't realize how good it is till it's gone. And then I go, oh, wow, look at all this space, right? I think that that's mental accumulation is very much that way where a lot of us encounter these, these negative thought patterns um, that we, we don't realize we have until we have either uh, some sort of climactic incident or we get some sort of mental help to, to help us clear it away. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, well, you know, your warehouse example is, is another fine example. I, I'm thinking of the Santa Claus effect. Whenever we see the, the, the pop cultural representations of Santa's workshop the, the day before Christmas, it's nothing but boxes and bags of things that nobody ever really gets for Christmas. But it's <laughs> <laughs> stacked up everywhere. You think, how do these elves even move around? It's the same. It's our mind. Our mind, you're exactly right. Our mind can do the same thing. It can do it with, with habituated patterns i mean if 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 you if you uh, feel for and care for people deeply you are part of whatever they share with you and some of those things are are uh, unavoidably um dark and the same kind of things the universal things we we face or fear and if you're not careful that can take you right down under the greatest pile of mm. it's not clutter but it's but it's an accumulated weight of everything you can't do anything about and i think that happens to people sometimes i think we all have the potential for that to happen and yet if we somehow manage to find our way to say i'm not trying to fix this i can't fix death i can't fix dementia i can't but i can listen and, and I can and I can talk and I can try to have meaningful time with people under some some kind of the circumstances that can weigh them down. <clears throat> I think that there is a it's not a lightness that that brings, but there's a I'm thinking of your organization of things of, of, of the piles. There's there's uh, an active um, refusal to let all the stacks fall on yourself at once. And there, there is an, an, if not an injection of product once a week <laughs> on mass, um, there's a, a, a going to the things that keep yourself healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that an important part of the analogy, whether it's me at work or Santa's workshop, <laughs> right, is that in order to remove the accumulation or to manage it, 
hard work has to be done, right? The, yeah. the, it's not like I just show up and the pallets are left the warehouse, right? No. I have to, I have to load trucks, right? Santa's workshop doesn't magically empty. The elves have to load the sand. Santa has to deliver them. So, and if you didn't, if if you didn't have the things stacking up, you wouldn't have the work. Right, right. So, <laughs> I think that that's that's an important aspect of of the mental health component of the discussion is that when you run into difficult times, it's it's important to to have the long view of it to understand that there's not going to be a quick and easy fix. And some things, like I mentioned in the intro. Some things are just going to fundamentally change who you are as a person. And you you can look at that and and say and you know cry into your into your soup, right? And say, oh, well, you know, now this has permanently damaged me. Or you can say, like we were talking about last week, this is my life, right? Yeah, this is right. it. This is all I have. And so I'm going to I need to make the best of it, right? And I need to find a way to continue on and to be the best version of myself that I can be in light of what I've experienced. And to make the meaning that is of uh, the potential of which is offered in right. the experiences that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think accumulation is one process or is it several interacting processes? So we've talked about objects and, and the physical body and, and the mental, uh, you know, uh, accumulation. Do you think this is all just one uh, construct or is, is, are they separate things? All right. I think they're interwoven things. I think you you implied that in the question. For me, they are. Whether I'm talking about marble, marbles, comic books, or how many of us have had people in our lives who, whether they were Depression-era kids, so to speak, or, or not, who have jars of screws, nails, no matter how rusty, you know, washers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> filling up a, bar, uh, a barn or a, gr or a garage, and you, and you can see the potential use in that, and occasionally, but then again, there's the organization. So first we have, we have the, well, do we decide to keep things or not? So it's an interwoven set of decisions. And some are so trained that they become behavioral at habituations without even, uh, just throw that screw in the jar, right? But if you don't throw a screw in the jar that's the right size jar, then you're going to spend a lot of time going through the jar. And by that time, you might have gone down to the hardware and come back with a 50-cent <laughs> bolt that's taking you an hour to look for. Right. Yeah. All right. And then you can start berating yourself because you didn't organize it well enough. So, we're, you know, we're, we're revisiting that thing you talked about with the paper being delivered every five minutes. So there's, there's potential use. There's uh, how do we uh, – where do we put it? There's – whether it's useful or not, do I have to defend it as being useful or can it just be interesting? If it's giving giving me something uh, or many many things on many levels, um, why does that have to be useful? And, and, and so then we have the ethical discussion or the ontological the discussion of the very one's own being that, that says I'm attracted to this. Um, and and we're making all kinds of decisions based on how much space do I have in my mind, in my heart, or in my house? Uh, and how, what are my means? Uh, am I misspending? Uh, am, am, uh, am I bringing things in that I didn't even have to spend? I mean, look at uh, little ones. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this in, in niece and nephew. Uh, my granddaughter, marvelous soul, is right now in springtime here in western New York, um, accumulating on a daily basis uh, dandelions. 
It's just fascinating about walking around, coming out of preschool. Oh, pick pick the dandelion, pick the sauce, and, and she picks them for me. These are for you, Grandma. Well, most of us, you know, the dandelions die within seconds. <laughs> they just dry out. They don't look like anything. But thank you. I appreciate that. You know, and you and you mean you say it and you mean it. But there's just oh, there's so many dandelions. I just have to get them all. I have to get a hundred. And you and you see this in a little one that's just totally. Um, I don't want to use the word innocence. It's just um, un unfiltered. Hmm. English daisies, these little daisies that are out in the yard right now. And, and she was uh, with me a few days ago. We we're looking at the yard and she said, the, these daisies, they're countless, Grandma. They're, 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 they're hundreds. It won't hurt to pick some. Pick, 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 pick. Yeah. But then we want to go to Grandma's garden, which has flowers that aren't in a great abundance. No, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But what am I teaching here? Well, you, there's not an abundance of this, so don't just randomly pick these. But these are some abundance. So go ahead and t- t- pull, pull them out of the ground. Should I be teaching the, the, should I be lecturing about abundance and not? I don't think so at that particular moment, but somehow I'm still conveying uh, permission or, or attitude. So there's another weaving. So it's not just what's in one's mind or heart. One's accumulating memories. You accumulate memories because of all your interactions with other people. The tapestry is getting really complicated now. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and so developmental psychology, modern devel- developmental psychology is, is starting to, you know, uh, really identify this strongly where, um, you know, these uh, demonstrating cause and effect is is really reached a point where we're going, oh, we don't know if we can really do that anymore because of how interwoven every aspect of a person's psychology is, not just on a personal level, but also on a social level and a biological level and, and on all these other things. But um, yeah, just interesting notes from what you were talking about. One one that study that I, I found really interesting was they were trying to identify how people um, thought about the past and the future and um, and how younger people and older people think about it differently. And so I won't get into the details of how the study was conducted, but essentially, um, you know, they, uh, they, so they called these people up randomly through for years and um, asked them, you know, what were you thinking about? And then based off of their answers, um, they weeded out, you know, any of the extraneous stuff and they boiled it down to um, how often did young people think about a past memory versus how often did a young person think about the future? And same thing for older people. And so what they thought was that younger people would think about the future more often because there's more future ahead of them and less memories behind them to consider and vice versa for old people. What they found was just the opposite young people were more likely to be thinking about memories and less likely to be thinking about the future. And the older the person, the more likely they were to think about the future and the less likely they were to have be thinking about memories of the past. And so on first blush, it seems counterintuitive. Like it, it, it doesn't really quite make sense until we think back to the paperboy analogy, right? Because to me, what's happening in that case is that the older you get, the more filled up your house gets with paper, the more your awareness of that accumulation develops in your mind. And then, you know, as when it's 
unavoidable, you are confronted with the accumulation, then everybody switches into the organizational mode. And the organizational mode is necessarily future oriented, right? You have to, you know, and so what they were finding with these old people, you know, in the discussion section of the paper, they were saying, well, what we think is happening is that, you know, um, first off, the memory system is starting to degrade some. So the access to previous memories isn't what it was. But more importantly, um, some of those working memory deficits are causing it so that in order to have a functional life, some of these older people are having to devote more of their cognitive resources to organizing how their future will go. So they have to be writing dates on the calendar. They have to be um, writing reminder notes to themselves, calling friends. They have to be organizing what's going to happen in the future. Otherwise, they'll forget and they'll miss something. You know. Um, and I thought that, that that was kind of an interesting... It was it was pretty interesting to read, but I, it highlights this idea of of how accumulation affects us as we as we age. Yeah, there's a. Have you encountered because as I was reading and, and taking notes for things, uh, the mutation accumulation theory. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know the the idea of as explained is aging is a process that due to lessening effects of natural selection on post reproductive individuals. Mutations continue to accumulate over time, increasing mortality in later life. So, so this is that cascading stack of things that's going to take you out, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I want to mention a book. Um, I, I, it's, it's one I'm going to be sending you a copy of. Uh, it's the most delightful novella I think I've encountered in decades. Science fiction. It's a novella. It's brief. It's called Psalm. Uh, for the wild built psalm of the wild it is uh, i won't belabor it all but it's essentially about it's a science fiction book without empires without spaceships without battles <laughs> but um, there at one point in the development of the society ai and robots were uh, coming into full form and the robots decided, um, thank you, we, we, we appreciate being creative, but we, we don't want to be part of this. We're going to just walk away. And the humans say, that's probably a good idea. We, we, we support that you're walking away. And it's, and it's all about um, a, a, care, a human character who encounters, after a long time, a robot comes out of the, into the wilderness, bumps into this person who's a T monk whose job is to learn to his chosen work is to um, make tea set a fine uh, uh, lovely inviting space and offer tea to people and listen to them talk there's so much in this little book uh, but but I've, I've i've had a talk with friends last night about it, it was a, a book group that we're in and 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 i was thinking about our to topic today with this this whole book because um, the accumulation of of all those things that are going to take you out, the robots could be immortal and aren't. They choose not. So they um, they they uh, they recycle pieces of themselves when they start to break down, and other robots take those pieces on, and they 
and then they have a life, and then when they collapse, then others take them pieces. And it's like a, a fresh take on the ship of Theseus, but it's they, they they're going to they're going to end, right? Um, and the robot talks to the human about this, and and among other things, um, says, "Why do you why are you so obsessed with trying to be?" Um, in your profession, whether it's useful or not, whether you're you're being uh, useful to other other people, why when this when you there's only a certain amount of time and you don't know what it's going to be, the robot says I have a a robot companion who's uh, he's been studying stalactites stalactites watching them for years, he just sits in a cave he's watching them, his life is no less worthy than your life, serving tea to somebody because this is what you've chosen to do. It, it does somehow there's not this stack of value so what you do doesn't necessarily accumulate value is one of the ideas in this book or if it mm. does it's a value to people you encounter but it's not a, you know, an accumulation that all of culture is going to um respect and i think that that's true as one ages what do you do with today mm. yeah and and do you do it because it's what you choose to do some of it some of it is things that have to be done you know, cat boxes and putting mm -hmm. gas in the car and and tending the list and making sure you check on friends and, but what are those things you're choosing to do or is it all just forced because everybody expects it yeah yeah and there, there's actually a really interesting article uh in the news this week with a philosopher challenging our notion of consciousness mm -hmm. and talking about how um you know listen throughout throughout history essentially humans have treated animals um badly because they're not conscious or not conscious in the way people are and is saying essentially why is why do we think that that's the right way to conceptualize this topic right we know now with modern science that that these animals are conscious mm -hmm. and that as a matter of fact a lot of their mental faculties are far beyond what we what we thought they yeah. were capable of possessing. But even if those faculties don't add up to being human, that doesn't necessarily make them lesser in any regard. Because if you look at a lot of animals, their sensory perceptions or their, you know, their other sorts of cognitions surpass humans in some regards. Hmm. It's more just our only crown jewel is this self-reflective uh, metacognition. And so, because that's the only thing we have, that's what we decide to judge every other animal on. And he goes, why? Why does? Why is that? Why do we say that that is okay? Right? Um, because we're narcissists, <laughs> right? Right. And so, yeah, the, this uh, the the mutation theory of, of of aging. You know, I I was just looking at this in in one of my classes. You know, a lot of you yeah, a lot of immune system cells have boring names like T cells and B cells, and then you get the slightly more interesting, you know, astrocytes. But the one that is responsible for cleaning up cancer cells is the killer cell. Hmm. And so it's got a cool name. But hmm. So you have these killer cells and, uh, you know, they go around, they, they identify, um, you know, cancerous growths and they basically swallow them whole um, and then send out a signal for one of the other immune cells to come in and eat them uh, to get rid of them. And these operate less efficiently as you, as you, you grow older. But hmm. It raises an interesting question, um, which we alluded to a little bit earlier on, but is accumulation ultimately 
more adaptive or more damaging. Because hmm. a lot of the, the the scientific notions in the past um, have thought of it, you know, the the like you're talking about the mutation sort of paradigm views it as as this negative thing, right? Okay, well your body functions up until the point that you've reproduced and raised your young and then it's free to just to just die. Do you think that that's an accurate description of of accumulation or do you think that there's because I already know that there's adaptive <laughs> counter arguments. But. Well, first I my my first response and it's not it's not intended or it's motivation it's not relativistic. The word both came immediately to mind because adaptation doesn't imply that there isn't going to be damage. Hmm. As, as we adapt to climate change, there's a lot worse damage that we, we could create than we already are uh, if we don't do it in, in proper ways that are, you know. So, so the, the accumulation of damage because of choices of ad, 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 adaptation, which would be conscious. It's not, this is not the, this is not the blind evolution that Darwin's talking about, but it's still, there's, evolve is involved in this. So I think, yeah, you can, you can, lots of damage. If I, if I let's say that I want to improve myself and I just be, uh, try, try to somehow become a physical specimen of the shining and scintillate. I'm going to do a lot of damage to the people around me because I'm spending all of my time on that suddenly after years of not. Uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it could hurt relationships. It could hurt. And, it's, and that's not saying, well, don't be healthy. Of course, I exercise. I have daily stuff. But I, I think anything that becomes a, a potentially obsessive, uh, if there's not uh, some kind of balance, will cause damage. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That that damage and adaptation are not separate things, but oh. it's they're sort of coexisting opposing forces in a lot of ways. And exercise is a good example, right? Um <laughs> my wife and I were uh, talking just recently there's uh a, a celebrity who isn't much older than us, uh but he he's he's very out of shape. He decided he was going to try to do a, a layup in basketball, which is just a very easy motion of just sort of lofting the basketball into the hoop from directly under it. And um, in this video, the, the guy blows out his knee and then falls and breaks his elbow. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I made the comment to my wife. I said, man, I hope I'm never in such bad shape that that, that, that happens to me, right? But it, it, that's just sort of a funny anecdote, but what it what it describes is what you were saying, which is that so damage is part of adaptation with exercise, right? You you damage your your muscle cells and then they repair and then they're stronger than they were. That's their adaptive response to the damage. But yeah. if you decide to do something that is far beyond what you have already adapted for, then you will do damage that you cannot adapt. You'll do damage that is beyond the ability to, to and life to. does us damage, and this is what I'm picking up from what we talked about with with the, the Hemsworth thing last week. Hmm. We aren't going to win, right? Yes, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. That that message still lingers, and and so the the very fact of of eating hmm. 
in some ways can be argued does us damage or does damage to the world around us no matter how little or how focused that, that eating is. We have to, I think, come to active terms with the realization that the fact that we step on ground, we our life causes damage. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we should we we need to somehow walk around just hanging our heads and saying oh, I just shouldn't be in the world because of, you know, and I'm not making light of depression, but I'm saying I don't want us to. That's not where I'm suggesting that we go. But if you realize that each step you take does cause damage, well, then maybe you're going to try to take steps that are a little less. Yeah. So, and to me, that's a kind of accumulation of active, uh, attentive awareness that that I, very few of us would ever be able to maintain, and I certainly wouldn't be one of them, but that as we do think about that, we are accumulating and then adapting our behavior ever so slightly. Right. Yeah. You know, it's coming back to the article that I read this week, right? It's one thing to, to say, oh, well, it's speciesist, right? To, to uh, treat the animals bad just because they don't have human cognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that drives some people to, you know, to veganism um, because they, they don't want to harm animals. And, and that's, that's a noble thing, I think. But what that I think that what that sort of misses as well is that so plants are likely not conscious, <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. You know, I won't say they're not, but they're likely not. But they're still living, right? So now you go from consciousness. Now you're lowering the barrier. Say, well, you still have to kill a living thing in order to sustain yourself, and that's unavoidable. Like you were saying, that's that's part of life. Part of life is that. Our basic living is going to damage and and kill other living things around us. And rather than being, rather than fostering a, a notion of of depressive or um, self, uh, you know, you know, castigation. Right, right. Yes. I think that it's more productive to to just have a, a conscious awareness of the sacrifice that it takes to be part of of the world, you know. And I think that 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 realization and that engagement leads to much more um, meaningful and and positive outcomes than than trying to avoid having any kind of impact yeah so it's 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 a it's a it's, it's not a reverse accumulation because that would mean not having anything there but but it's a, a choice accumulation right and and bringing it back around to what you were saying with with the physical right I think that the where Chris Hemsworth realized that in our last episode right is he says to to um, the doctor, he says, "I someday I'm not going to be able to take the suit off, right? Yeah. And so when we're talking about this damage versus adaptive response, right, the goal is always to be, to be developing that adaptive response without doing damage that you can't recover from. But that is impossible. And eventually, even the most simple things are going to cause damage that you can't adapt to and, and you'll eventually die. And so, rather than again, rather than having that be a depressive thought, you have to you have to realize, like you're saying, you have to be mindful of, of of the days that you have, of the time you have, of the experiences you have, and you have to be trying to to be to be fostering that adaptive sense and trying to 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 make that work as much as you can, even though you know that in, in the end, 
you will die and, and the things that, that sustain you will die and everything will die, right? Car batteries will die. <laughs> There's a, well, yeah, this, this takes me back to one of my favorite plays and, and movies uh, from the 1960s. It's called The Lion in Winter. It's about uh, King Henry and Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine and all kinds of things and their sons and, and three sons and all of them want to be king. And eventually the king doesn't know what else to do with them, throws them into the dungeon. And he decided he's going to kill them all and have a new son, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is ridiculous. And his wife tells him that. But, but the, the most, uh, the most um, manly man of the three, and that was Anthony Hopkins playing the part when he was a very young <laughs> man. Um, uh, the, one of the brothers says, well, uh, or the, the Hopkins character says, well, he's not going to, he's not going to see me beg when he comes to the dungeon. He's standing up tall. And the, the, the machinations plan filled brother says, you fool. As if, uh, as if going, uh, as if it matters how you uh, die. And he says, when going down is all there is, it matters. Hmm. How you go down matters. And and that's and that's not a judgmental thing to me to just toss out there as like a sampler to put on the wall, but it's it's a thought that I have I have nurtured uh, and still do because how one behaves matters. Yeah, how, how one carries oneself in the face of all the horror that that faces whatever kinds it is that face each one of us that we face that we go through it, how we respond um, within makes a difference in the accumulation. This is where we get spiritual. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and not proselytizing and not suggesting that there's an answer here. But I think that there are many traditions that would that would say that that the accrual of positive energy, no matter how small the acts are, there are some who argue that there's an accrual of this and that this does change the universe. Well, I'm not sure about that, but, but yeah. it, does, it does sound good. Yeah, and, and what, it, what it makes me reflect on is really the hidden beauty of Stoicism that, that is overlooked. You know, Stoicism is always represented as this sort of hyper-masculine mm -hmm. um, you know, ejection of feelings and that sort of thing. But really what, what's at the heart of stoicism is this idea that you're going to face suffering, you're going to face hard times, you're going to die. And the only thing that you can control is how you react to that knowledge, right? And that, that is the heart of stoicism. And I think that that's, that's the good aspect of it that is often overlooked or overshadowed by um, the the hyper-masculinity, yeah, yeah. which is to say, I can be tough no matter what. That's not stoicism. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, Anthony Hopkins' character, right? How, how it's not necessarily his, his, you know, standing up tall and saying that he's not going to beg that determines whether or not what he's doing is meaningful. No. It's more the internal mindset of that, right? It's that, well, are you just doing that because... You know, you want to be strong no matter what, or are you doing that because you understand that this is the only thing that you have control over mm -hmm. is, is how, you know, how you, how you take it. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's something that we talked about a, a lot in the last episode when we were talking about, about death. So we'll end it on a little bit of a lighter note. I'll ask you <laughs> if science could double the human lifespan, which, 
we might get close to it sometime in my lifetime. Yeah. Do you think accumulation would, would stretch or compress? Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So sounds like a simple question. Really, really isn't. Um, <laughs> but, but the, the accumulation of, of, of necessary resources would, would uh, compress with urgency. There was a person, uh, one of the immortalists, one of the people who initiated the uh, the idea of a cryogenic freezing early on in the fifties, um, said, "Well, the Earth can support forty billion people, so if we we just freeze lots of people and they're brought back, it's, it'll be just fine." Well, we know the Earth can't support forty billion people, not in any kind of way that we would want to be living. Um, so that was a, a lost notion, but but I think the immortalist movement does not believe in a, a scarcity of resources. So I'm trying to decide, Joel. Because the question we've asked is whether that's a compression, or did you say expansion? Was it uh, uh, would accumulation a stretch or compress? The the need for accumulation would stretch. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because it comes back to one of the questions we asked earlier, which was, is accumulation one process or several interacting processes, mm -hmm. right? And I think that this highlights that it has to be several processes. Yes. Because if you look at it, if you look at it just from a physical body standpoint, right? I think the goal of a lot of the longevity science is to compress accumulation of physical deficits. So it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good if we all live to 140 but we're all still old people at 70, right? You know, then you're just living 70 years of aches and pains and slow movement and you know and and yeah. not, which isn't to say that you you couldn't necessarily live a you know a fulfilling life but you it's going to be taxing for the healthcare system and the public transport and all these all these interacting systems. So with increased longevity, you also need increased health span, which is the ability of, of a person to, to live um, and independently and to, and to operate um, without much assistance. Um, so from the physical aspect, that's one thing. From, from the psychological or the cognitive aspect, um, it gets really interesting, right? Because I don't think that you can compress that aspect of the human being. So that accumulation would stretch. And I, I'm wondering what, what sort of impact that would have because it raises the, the question, does the mindset of an old person arise from the aging of the body or does the mindset of the older person arise from the amount of experiences they've had up to that point? Uh, well, I think it's, that too is both, but more, more to the second part. It, 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 the the other thing your question is raising for me relatedly is the we have to throw out our our preconceived notions of it being the same. Nothing would be the same. But if you take already the accumulating uh, uh, the accumulating uh, deficit of fertility hmm. for all kinds of reasons, and some we don't know, but but. Uh, what you what you what you're going to have is a different kind of accumulation, an accumulation of a gerontological population that would be uh, proportionately geometrically in increased 
even from what we are seeing now, and right now older people are much more uh, prevalent than younger people. So you might get to the point where there's no, there's no reproduction. So then you're in this uh, environment in which everybody is living to 170 years, but there's almost no new person there. Hmm. I can't imagine the sheer horror of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it really is interesting. And, and I think that, you know, even if, even if both the longevity and the health span were stretched, so in other words, um, even if at 80 or 90 years old, you were, you were still middle-aged, you know, you still had a yeah. good function and stuff. I still think that the memories and the experiences that you've had and the things that you've gone through would weigh on you in such a way, you know, I, it's unfortunate, but I think that many of us have encountered an older person in, in their 80s or 90s or even being 100 who have said, you know, I, I'm ready, you know, yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen what there is to see. I've, I've done what there is to do and I've lived a good life and I, I'm ready. You know, yeah. in one unfortunate case, I had a coworker whose mother was 104 who would just ask him, why am I still here? Yeah. You know, and that's, it's terrible. It's, it's sad. But, but the, the essence of that question is, would that mindset still develop if at 100 years old, this woman was the equivalent of a 45-year-old? And that, and is it because of the experiences and the right. life lived or is it because of the degradation of the physical I, and I don't think we can adequately answer that. Yeah. We don't know right now. But but I have to think that that if there's no input of new blood, literally, that there's a stagnation that no matter how middle-aged you can be for how long, <laughs> yeah, I could probably travel to every place on the planet. Well, that's if the resources would allow it, which mm -hmm. probably wouldn't. And would I even then anyway, some would and some wouldn't. And would I be able to make more art? Yes. I mean, there are all those kind of things that you have. But if I say, as I said to you before, I, I would love if there were an afterlife for it to be a library, a garden, and a grand pub party, <laughs> which you can intersperse with. And music and uh, rock music one day, hip hop the next, and, and blues and jazz. and Okay. We have no conception for that now, but to keep encountering the new, well, yes, but, you know, conceivably, if immortality became a thing, um, you could hear all the music that was made. Hmm. You could read everything that was written, conceivably, if the span was long enough, and then, okay, What's next? Nothing. Snooze. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to be glib about it, but I, I just, I, I can't conceptualize a joyfulness in that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that this was a good way to end the episode because I think you know we talked about the different types of accumulation and we we asked some of the some of the questions regarding the essence of it, but this this last speculative question is one that um, is much less abstract, right? This is more concretely applicable to the, the future of humanity. As yeah. you see these people who, um, through scientific means, are starting to say, you know, yeah, we think that people are going to start living to 150. People that are alive now, you know. It's easy to say that, and it may be easy to facilitate it in um, 
in a physical sense through, you know, diet and exercise and, and various, you know, substances, you know, uh, vitamins and minerals and, and developing drugs. But it doesn't take into account the ontological, um, you know, perception no, no. And, and experience of the person. Nor, nor the socio-political. Right. Because it would have to be an entirely different world or else it's um, in the world that we know, uh, people of means would have first first dibs. And, yeah. And, and, and that's an entire, that's a whole. Right, right. And then <laughs> and the, the idea of, like you said, there's, there's these opposing factors of low fertility rate and then increased lifespan where, um, you know, I think retirement, the concept of retirement would be obsolete. Everybody would have to work in order to maintain the society that, that there is, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, um, you know, when you think about, again, talking about this accumulation of experiences, you know, you, you mentioned earlier in the show, sure, your life is filled with some things you have to do, but are you doing the things that you want to do? Yeah. Um, and if, if, I, if you had to work a 40-hour work week at 130 or something, right, are you doing enough of what you want to do to justify doing what you have to do in order to support the environment that you live in? It's an interesting question. It's a very that, grim science fiction book. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good book, but the TV show came out and it's coming to mind. Altered Carbon. <sighs> Uh, I don't want to be a sleeve. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the I think the philosophy of accumulation is is just getting started. So I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future. And until next time, keep on. 